Good morning, everyone. Welcome again. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel 25, 32 through 35. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her, from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I, I echo the, the prayer um, of Pastor Todd earlier that you would bring peace into this world. Not only to the world as a whole, Lord, but peace into our hearts. God, give us wisdom because oftentimes the use of wisdom can temper all of the evil that is out there. The use of good judgment can temper the bad. And God, we just pray so much that you would grant that to us today. Lord, be with those in our congregation who are hurting, who are suffering, who are sick. You know who they are, Father, and we pray that you would walk beside them, that you would grant them your peace and your love, that you would grant them the resources that they need. God, for those who are rejoicing in this moment, we pray that we would rejoice with them. God, draw us tighter as a community. Help us to lift one another up in love. God, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So when I was a child, one of my favorite things to read, believe it or not, pretty much because it was the only thing available to me at my great-grandmother's house, was Reader's Digest. Who's ever, who's ever seen a Reader's Digest? Or see, okay. Yeah, <clears throat> the older folks in the room, right? I'm not even sure if they make them in paper copy anymore, do they? Well, online, that's good to know. Online, I was reading uh, a story I'd like to share with you recently. In August of 2014, artist Kira Kopinsdonsky was enjoying a hike through one of her favorite parks near her home in Placerville, Colorado. Even when straying off the trail, as she had that day, she had never once seen a mountain lion in the wild, until now. When she heard a twig snap behind her, I turned and there it was. She told Nine News a mountain lion standing 10, maybe 15 feet away. Kopinstowski knew not to run or to make any sudden movements, and calmly she started to back away. But the lion crept forward. She stopped. The lion crouched. She grabbed a tree branch to make herself look like a bigger predator. The lion didn't budge. For 20 minutes, no matter what move she made, the lion only advanced, once pouncing within just a few feet of her. The big cat was stalking Kapistonsky, and she didn't know whether she was going to make it back to the trailhead, if she was going to find help without being attacked. 
with adrenaline taking over, she decided to try something radical. At the top of her lungs, she began to sing opera. The lion backed off. It put its ears down, and it just kept looking at me, she said. And it sort of backed away. She called her roommate, who alerted authorities. After the lion retreated, she calmly and carefully walked back to the trailhead, where several deputies waited to meet her. What the expert says is that it's a general rule in the animal kingdom. Prey runs away, so you don't run. By standing her ground and making loud noises, she proved to the lion that she was a person and not dinner. Now, most of us have never had a brush with a mountain lion, I hope, <laughs> in this room. But I would argue that we've all had some experiences where using quick-witted wisdom has gotten us out of some serious trouble. Would I be correct in assuming that? Well, that's especially true of Abigail, whose story uh, we just read a little snippet of and can be found in 1 Samuel 25, where she goes from ordinary to extraordinary by using wisdom and a cool head to save the day. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here around this story. So we've all, most of us, heard of King David. He was the one who slayed the giant Goliath with just a sling and a stone. So that's already occurred here. And David has been anointed as the next future king of Israel. He went out and he's pushed enemies back for the current king, King Saul. But there's only one problem. Saul has become jealous of King David. He's become jealous of his success. The people would say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. He was jealous, and he felt threatened. And so Saul was after David. He wanted to take his life and put an end to this man who'd been nothing but faithful to him. So now you have David who has now gathered a group of men who are loyal to him. They were called David's mighty men. And so David is going around the countryside, running from King Saul for his life with about 400 men. So at this time, they were in this one place, and there was this very wealthy landowner named Nabal. Um, it tells us that he had a thousand goats and a few thousand sheep. That made him a very, very wealthy man. And so these animals needed space to graze and to be out, and so they'd head out into the wilderness. And so David's men and David were all camping nearby this, this group of livestock. And what would often happen when you're out in the open like that, you're vulnerable, right? You're not only vulnerable to animals, but you're vulnerable to people coming in and attacking, to people from the outside coming in and trying to steal what is yours or to steal from the camp itself. So David and his men do something wise themselves. They surround this group of livestock, this wealthy man's stuff here, and his people and his servants, and he and his men protect them. They themselves don't go in and steal anything, and they protect them from anyone else coming in and harming them. So this is the context of what is going on here. So what we know about Nabal, again, is he's very wealthy. And he has this lovely wife named Abigail. 
This is what 1 Samuel 25, 2-3 says. A certain man in Mount, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. There was a lot of wealth. There was a lot of livestock, which would have meant there would have been a lot of servants. There would have been a lot of household to be managed. Now, sometimes that was managed by someone who was hired and put in charge of the household. But what we find out in this passage is that Abigail herself, his wife, who really didn't have to do this, really was the one who managed everything, who took care of everything, who built relationship with her servants. So David knows it's shearing time, and at shearing time, they will have prepared food for all of these servants and for the celebration that would occur over having a successful season and being able to sell off their resources. So David's smart, right? He's protected all of them. And now he's going in for the ask. He sends some of his men to Nabal, and he asks for some food and for some resources. Here's the problem. Nabal, whose name means fool, by the way, and we learned a couple weeks ago that oftentimes in the Old Testament, these names mean something. It's worth looking up when you come across a name in the Old Testament because oftentimes you'll find it means something. Now, we don't know if he was given this name at birth, which really I would have questioned his parents if that were the case, (laughs) or if it was given to him later, which is probably the case. Basically mocks David, right? The man who has slain tens of thousands. The man who took down a giant with just a sling and a stone. Nabal basically mocks him. And guess what? David didn't take too kindly to his response. He didn't take too kindly to being mocked. So he orders his men to strap on their swords and to head for Nabal's house. In the end, faced with the death of her husband, faced with the potential death of all of the males in her household, faced with a difficult, real situation, Abigail uses wisdom, and she saves the day. That brings me to my big idea for the day, which is when faced with a difficult or dangerous situation, which we all do at times, using wisdom instead of emotional reaction can save the day, just like our friend with the mountain lion. So how can we take something from what Abigail, from her story, how can we pull some ideas here that can help us take wise steps in our own turbulent situations? What can we pull from this story? So we're going to kind of go back through this story a little bit, and we're going to pull some of these ideas out. And the first thing is, Cultivate trust with those around you. Cultivate trust with those around you. Right? Abigail was a wealthy woman. She did not have to step in and really get to know a lot of these servants. She didn't have to see necessarily what was going on. She didn't have to get down into the trenches. But we find out within this story, she had to have had a relationship with them. She had to have known them and known them well in order for the trust that happened between them. 1 Samuel 25, 14 through 18 says this, 
One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near him. Now, think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Let me ask you this. When you have an emergency or a major conflict in your life, who do you turn to? Where do you go? Right? Oftentimes, we immediately go to the people that we trust, to the people that we've built some kind of relationship with, right? If it's a personal conflict, uh, a relational conflict, if it's a conflict with our kids, if it's a conflict with work, oftentimes we're going to go to the people that we have built a relationship with that we trust entirely. Other times, we're going to choose the person who has the right skills, right? Think, if you have, an, if you have a medical emergency, are you going to call a plumber? <laughs> You're going to call an EMT, right? You're going to get somebody there who knows what they're doing, who has the right skill. So we go to someone that we trust, and sometimes that's either someone we've built a relationship with and know well, or it's the person with the right skills, the right background who can help us. Other times, uh, we'll choose someone who's proven to think quickly and rationally in other situations. Right? Maybe it's not someone you know super well, but you've been watching them and you can see, boy, they really know how to like get the job done. They know how to think, think, think things through quickly. There's a tongue teaser for you this morning. We often choose people who stay calm under pressure, and they're not going to add fuel to the fire. Think about that. We all know some people in our lives who, when we come to them with the problem, there might be a little fuel added to that fire, right? Maybe it's not the wisest thing in the world to go to those people sometimes. We'll go to people who are able to analyze the situation and determine the potential pitfalls and danger. Maybe they can see things from another perspective that you can't see them from. And we go to people who have a proven track record of good judgment. Right? If you're having financial problems, you're not going to go ask for financial advice from the person who's just gone through bankruptcy right? You're going to go to someone who knows what they're talking about. So we go to people we trust. We go to people with a proven track record. We go to people who can think quickly. We go to people with the right skill set. We cultivate trust with these people and those around us. 
And the servants went to Abigail. Why? Because they'd watched her. They'd seen her in action. She had a track record of making good decisions and probably picking up messes after her husband for quite a while. They went to her because they knew she could do something. She could do something, even if they didn't know what that something was. And that trust went both ways, right? Because Abigail had to trust what her servants were saying, that it was true, that their story was true, that indeed danger was hanging over their heads. So how would this trust be cultivated, right? Well, it's time and energy. You can't cultivate trust without putting in the effort. You can't cultivate trust without putting in time. It's something that happens over the course of time. Time was spent by Abigail spending time with her servants, but time was spent with those servants watching her and watching her decisions. Her character became obvious And that takes time and consistency to build into a reputation, right? And a relationship of trust. So if you want to avoid danger and threats and pitfalls in life, wisdom tells us to cultivate trust with those around us. Build relationships. Watch people so you know who to go to. And people know whether or not they can go to you, really, over time. It means being consistent in decision-making, being consistent in building relationships, and consistently acting out in good character. The next thing that we can learn from Abigail in her story is to speak the truth in humility. Speak the truth in humility. All right, so here's the situation. Abigail had done absolutely nothing wrong, right? It was her husband and his all the shade he was throwing at David. That was really the problem. She had no part of it. She didn't know what had happened if the servant hadn't come to her. And the servants, what part did they play in this? Now, it was all Nabal and his, his big, hot-headed temper and his words and his ego, right? So she's stuck in this potentially crummy marriage, married to a man whose name literally means fool. <laughs> and it seems like she's doing a lot of the heavy lifting here. 1 Samuel 25, 10 and 11 says this, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to the men coming from who knows where? Okay, well, that may not seem that unreasonable, but let me explain to you that that is a very unreasonable thing to say to David with 400 men who've protected your people in a culture, right, where when a stranger comes to you and asks for hospitality and you have the ability to give that hospitality, to not do so is an insult. It's a huge insult. Nabal would have known exactly who David was. And he was, he was definitely mocking him in the words that he spoke. So we know that she manages her household well. We know that the servants definitely don't feel good about Nabal. So have you ever been caught in the middle of something that wasn't your fault? Or received the blame for something that wasn't your fault? 
I mean, the first thing I think of is something really benign, right? Remember back to elementary school and your teacher promises you, you'll get some more recess time if you're just quiet for five minutes, right? But there's always that one kid. There's that one kid who just cannot settle down, who cannot be quiet, who has to stir the pot a little bit, and then bam, the whole class suffers. None of you get your extra recess time, right? But it's like, that's so unfair. I didn't do it. I was quiet. Why not just keep that kid inside so I can go out and play? That happens sometimes where we get lumped into things. A, a few weeks ago, I was, um, it was after the storm, and I'm not really a photographer at all, but I took my Nikon, and Rich and I drove out onto Duxbury Beach, and um, I was just taking pictures of the, the beach in the snow. Well, as most of you know, we have some birds that come and nest at Duxbury Beach in the winter. We have some snowy owls, and uh, it's, I think I've seen one like once. And I wasn't out there looking for owls, and there's all this controversy in Duxbury, you know, about photographers coming and approaching the owls and, and upsetting them. And so, you know, people go back and forth about whether it's okay to take pictures of them or not, and it's, it's a war, I'm just telling you. So I had no desire to go hunting for a snowy owl, but lo and behold, on my way back, there's this owl, and I have my camera. And I'm on the road. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm on the road. I haven't approached it. And I'm, I'm taking some photos. Um, and there's someone else who's gone down this path. Now, they're on a path. It's a marked path. And they haven't gone that far. Uh, and they've just got a phone, and they're taking photos. And this guy comes down the road on his bike, and he slams on his brakes, and he loses it. He just starts yelling and screaming and expletives flying at this person who's gone down the path a little ways. And I'm just standing there like, oh boy. And, and finally, you know, I agree with him. We, shouldn't, we should follow the rules. Everyone should follow the rules. We shouldn't, we shouldn't upset animals. I'm a big animal lover. But this person hadn't gone very far, and it looked like they were coming back. And so I, I finally turned to this man, and I said, you know, you don't have to yell. <laughs> well, folks, <laughs> that didn't go over so well. Because then he turned on me. All oh, you photographers, I'm so sick of you coming here and thinking you own the place and, and just lump me in with all these other people, even though I'm standing on the road kind of doing my thing, not getting in anyone's way, not approaching the bird. And you know, guys, here's what I should have done, right? Speak the truth in humility. This is what I'm trying to teach you. I learned it from my own experience a few weeks ago. What I should have done is said, you're absolutely right. I agree with you 100% because I, I do. Like, we shouldn't scare the birds. No, 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 no. That's not what I did, though, right? Instead, I was like, who do you think? <laughs> I didn't say who do you think you are, but I thought it. I was like, I have never, ever, ever, ever stepped a toe out of line. Do not lump me in with all of these other people. I am standing here on the road minding my own business. This is completely unfair. Guys, what did I do? I added so much fuel to the fire, right? Because it was unfair. I was angry. I felt justified in coming back at this man who's just lost his mind over nothing, right? Here's the thing, seems unfair. That's exactly where Abigail finds herself in this story. 
in this situation. She's in a position where she's not done anything wrong. But it's going to affect everything around her. It's going to affect her entire life. And so she could have gone to David and been like, listen, I didn't do anything. Why are you coming after my whole household? But instead, she does the opposite. She uses wisdom. And it's not that she doesn't speak the truth to David. It's that she does it with humility and she does it with grace. 1 Samuel 25, 23 through 31 says this, When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Notice the reference there. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. Think about that. None of this was Abigail's doing. None of this was her fault. And yes, she spoke the truth. And yes, that day with the snowy owl, I spoke the truth. You don't need to yell. She spoke the truth, but she did it in an entirely different way, right? She did it in humility. How many of us would have bowed? How many of us would have rather been like, actually, I'm going to go post this really passive-aggressive social media post where I don't actually say who it is I'm talking about in the situation, but like everybody knows who I'm angry at. How many of us would do that instead? But instead, rather than throwing fuel on the fire, she's able to humble herself, still speak the truth. She could have pointed out the unfairness. She could have pointed out how hot-headed and stupid it was for him to be placing this kind of a stain on his reputation, but she didn't. She could have said, you're overreacting, but she didn't. Instead, she humbles herself. Right? What's the result? She saves Nabal, her foolish husband, 
and she saves every male in her household who again had nothing to do with what had happened. 1 Samuel 25, 32-35, part of which we read earlier. So David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you would not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought with him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Here's the thing, guys. Sometimes it comes down to we can preserve our ego or we can have peace. We can be right, and I like being right. We can be right or we can preserve peace. They're not easy things to do. But God used her quick action and her humility to save not just her household, but even more, the reputation of the future king. Had David fulfilled what he intended to do, he may never have been king. People wouldn't have looked at him as someone who was fit to be king. He would have had a stain, an irreversible stain at this time. They would have questioned whether or not he was fit. And the last, uh, one of the other things that we learned from this is know your moment. Timing is everything, people. Timing is everything. So Abigail gets this information from her servants. She sends them ahead with the food. Here's the gift first. Then I'll bring the truth. Okay? Here's the gift first. Then I'll bring the truth. 1 Samuel 25, 20 through 23 says, As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she got quickly off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Know your moment. And then later with her husband Nabal, we read in verses 25 through, uh, I'm sorry, in verses 36 through 38, when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. She told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. Timing is everything. She knew when to approach David, and she knew when to approach Nabal, and that was not when he was in high spirits and drunk. And lastly, remember that God honors wisdom, humility, and good character. Remember that he honors these things. Abigail saved the lives of her household, and she saved David's reputation. But those aren't, that, that's not the total end of the story. That's not where it ends. God uses Abigail as a messenger of wisdom to David, and he, thankfully he listened, right? And David's reminded, 
in this stressful pursuit by Saul that God is in charge of all situations and plans and vengeance aren't his. They're not, they're not David's. And God honored David's wisdom and David's heedance to what Abigail had to say by carrying out the consequences on Nabal himself. 1 Samuel 25, 37-39 says, Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and it continues, And his heart failed him, and he became like stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And then Abigail's quick thinking and cultivation of trust with others and wisdom was honored by God. Verses 39 through 42 say, Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant, and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and, attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. Abigail becomes the wife of the future king. God honors her wisdom. God honors David's heedance to wisdom. Here's the thing. We all face turbulent times in life. We all face moments where we have to make a choice about how we are going to react to something. We can go through these moments well, or we can go through them poorly. How we react to our own circumstances is always, always up to us. But other people's actions and other people's poor choices don't have to be our demise. And you know what else? Our poor choices don't have to be our demise either. David made a poor choice. But in the end, he turned it around. And we have the ability to do the same thing. Because when faced with a difficult or dangerous situation, using wisdom can save the day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are one who gives wisdom to all who ask. So God, we stand before you and we pray that you would grant us all wisdom that you would help us to cultivate the trust that we need with others to gain wisdom and to be wise for others. God, we pray that you would help us to speak the truth in humility. We pray that you would help us to know our moment, when and when not to act and when to speak and not to speak, Lord. And God, help us always, always remember that you honor those choices. When we make choices out of good character, out of wisdom, out of humility, Lord, that you will honor that. Be with us this week, Lord, as we go out. Open doors for us to bring your word to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.